Hello and welcome back to the Sticks Golf Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Tom Crow. This week, I sat down with Larkin Gross. Larkin's a good friend of mine from junior golf. He's also an NCAA Division III national champion, and he also played in this past year's PGA Championship at Kiowa, representing the teaching professional. Before we get started, I am again happy to announce that today's podcast is presented by Swing U. Swing U Premium, the world's most comprehensive golf improvement app, with the industry's easiest to use on course GPS, scorecard, strokes gained, and stat features. Swing U's AI powered digital caddy provides plays like distances, wind speed and elevation, shot tracking, and club recommendations. And now, with the all new Swing U Versus, allowing you to compare every part of your game to a tour pros. With the world's easiest to use strokes gained stat system, You'll receive a relative handicap for driving, approach shots, chipping and putting, pitching, and bunker play. After each round's strokes gained analysis, you'll get a personalized game improvement priority and prescriptive drill. Whether you're on the course or at home, premium subscribers get anytime, anywhere access to Swing U's massive on-demand library of lessons and drills from world-class golf instructors. Join Swing U Premium today and start shooting lower scores. Now let's get to the pod. All right, so Larkin Gross, for people that don't know you, can do give yourself like a little bit of an introduction, like who you are, where you're from, what do you do? So um, I work up at Springfield Golf and Country Club in Northern Virginia. I'm a PGA professional up there, one of the assistant professionals. And, you know, I work out of there, play out of there. But I originally grew up in Tappahannock, Virginia, just east of Richmond, played in all the VSGA junior events. Um, and that's kind of how I got my start was playing with my dad. He was a college or sorry, a high school golf coach. That's how I got into the game. And I've played ever since I was four years old. So. And uh, you, you working up North at Springfield, is that, is that like kind of fun to actually work at a golf course that you competed at as a junior in the Bobby, Bobby Bowers? Oh yeah. It's great. Um, it's a great golf course and it's a good place to kind of hone my game. Cause I've got really fast greens here. You got to know how to hit the short game shots. And, you know, we've got a great membership who they love that I play golf and I'm still competitively, you know, trying to play in big events and all that stuff. So it's good to have that kind of support, especially from the rest of our staff, my DOG, Josh Tremblay, and our new head professional, Roger Welch, and the rest of the guys on staff. So it's good to have that support because they're, you know, they want me to to succeed. And when you have that support from your membership and then the guys you work with, it makes it a lot easier to kind of go out and do it. Especially with Josh, because, I mean, he was the uh, captain of the – the capital cup teams back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. He, and he's great. You know, he, it was, it is funny to work for him now because he was our captain of the capital cup team. What was that? 2014 or something 2014. Like yeah. Yeah. So that was, you know, it's cool to have, have it come full circle and to play in the Bobby Bowers. And then now he was the head pro back then. He was the guy who, you know, gave me the trophy when I was the stroke play medalist. So like, it's cool to, you know, it's cool to have that connection with him. That's awesome. All right, so um, 
I want to ask you, what do you think your biggest accomplishments in golf are? Wow, that's a good question. Um, I would say definitely one of them is winning the national championship my junior year at Methodist University. That was a really, really fun experience. And it was with a great group of guys there. We had a great team, you know, great coach, Steve Conley at Methodist. So that was definitely one of the biggest accomplishments. And then playing in the PNC and finishing top five there and then getting to play in the PGA championship now is probably my biggest accomplishment, especially in my, the professional side of my career. And, you know, that was just such a neat experience. And I'd, I'd have to say those two on, on either side, on the college side and amateur side, winning the national championship and then playing in the PGA and playing so well in the PNC. That's probably my best in each category, I guess you could say. So it's, I think it's pretty safe to say that once you got to Methodist, your game excelled. Yes. Um, and I, I want to ask, what do you think was the underlying factor for that growth in your game? And also, do you think that there are like, what are the like the big differences between division one and division three golf? And do you think that actually helped you in the long run? Yeah. So, you know, my coach at Methodist, Steve Conley, he's great. And he helped me a lot because I was not a complete player when I came to Methodist. You know, actually, I remember when you and Mark and I played at the match play, the junior match play my senior year, Mark looked at me after the round because I played well I think I shot 68 and he shot 64 or whatever but he looks at me afterwards he goes why didn't you hit a flop shot on the first hole he was like it, like what and I was like well I tried to I just didn't hit it well and like I don't really have that <laughs> shot and it like but that was the first moment where I was like damn like maybe I'm not as complete of a player as I thought I was um and then when I got to Methodist coach Conley is a really really good short game coach so that's kind of where my game grew he changed a little bit with my full swing, but mostly just set up stuff. And then he taught me how to be a complete player with the short game. And that is what changed my game because I did not have a short game that was going to last in the higher levels. Like as we got to college, unless I hit it perfectly every time I stepped on the golf course, which you and I both know that doesn't happen. So no, I needed, never. I needed to learn how to, how to save myself when I'm not hitting it great. And that's what I learned there. And I also learned a lot of, being a little bit more confident and how to go out and pick the right targets and make aggressive swings at the right targets. Instead of just, you step up on a 300 yard hole and you're like, Oh, I can drive this screen and just rip driver. When in reality, you probably, you, that's not always the case. You need to, you know, kind of think through and really learn how to play golf. So what I tell people is I could play golf. I, or like I could hit the ball. I didn't know how to play golf. I didn't know how mm -hmm. to correctly play the game where, if things weren't going well, I was going to be able to get it back. I just went out and hit the ball and hoped that I was hitting it well enough to, you know, for it to go well. So I think that's what I really learned. A lot of the mental side and a lot of short game is what I learned in, in college. And that's what definitely made me a better player. And gotcha. to speak on the difference between D1 and D3, um, I would say like the top, you know, 50 to 75 teams in D1, like they're a different level, right? Like, you know, you went to Virginia Tech, like the UVA's Virginia Tech's Georgia Tech, like those places, those programs are on a different level. But once you get to like past the top 50 into like the bottom, you know, not the bottom half, but once you get past the top 50, top 75 teams in D1, like I would put our D3 team, my junior year up against 
most of those teams just because, you know, we played in a couple of D1 events while I was there and we had success. I think we finished fourth in the Naval Academy tournament. And then my coach used to, before they changed the rules where you didn't get um, ranking points for playing in D1 events, they used to go down to the JMU tournament and they, they won it a couple of times back in the you know early 2000s. So um, that's a, that's cool to know the history of that and how that we were able to compete with those teams back in the day. But again, now, you know, D one's gotten. So, like I said, those top 50 teams in D one, it's a different level, but you know, I would say we competed pretty well against some of the D one teams when we played in like, like I said, the Naval Academy tournament and in those old JMU tournaments, the JMU invite. What was it about your team specifically that like, you thought that you guys were good enough to, and you guys were competing against those like top level D one teams. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of it was coach Conley and having him, you know, he'd been there before and he'd been a coach for the year we won. It was his 31st year, I think, or 30. He's kind of a legend, right? He just uh, coached the men's and the women's team. Yeah. He, so he's won 12 national championships He's never not made it to a national championship as the coach. Um, and then, yeah, it, it's crazy. And, you know, he, the only time they've, we finished outside of the top five in a national championship was they were the number one team in the nation, had won five times. And it was the first year they put the cut into the national championship and they missed the cut the first year of the cut. So that was the, that was one time that they finished outside the top five. And then my sophomore year, um, we missed, we finished seventh. So that was it. So the only, there's only two times he's finished outside the top five in that's, 30 some years. That's crazy. Yeah. And like, you know, it's funny because back in, so back in like, I would say the nineties to probably the late nineties, like D three wasn't as competitive as it is now. Yeah. But so like they won like eight national championships from 90 to late 99. And there was, you know, like you had, some of, like there were some really good teams. Like the top was still really good, but there weren't those teams that could kind of come out of nowhere and surprise people back then. Now, like you're looking at the top 25 teams in the nation in D3, they all have a chance to win. If they have a good yeah. couple of days, they can all win. And but it's cool to see, you know, it speaks to him to see that he's adapted over the years to adapted to how well the competition's gotten. And he's also adapted by continuing to still finish high in national championships when you know like my junior year we lost two of the guys that were on actually we ended up losing three of the guys that were on that national championship team we still finished I think fourth or fifth and then the year after that he lost I was the only person who left but he had a couple some new guys in the lineup they still finished actually no I'm sorry the national championship that year got canceled this year he lost like three or four guys off that team and then they finished second. So like he somehow, some way he just does a good job of getting everything out of the kids he gets. Like we didn't get any highly ranked recruits really. Like if you look at some of the best players that he's had, you know, as far as all Americans, you know, stroke average, all that stuff, they were kids who came in who were probably pretty good to start with, but they weren't highly ranked. Like I was not highly ranked in junior golf scoreboard. Mason Stutler was not highly ranked in junior golf scoreboard, but then we both ended up being three time all Americans. And then Jared Chen was an all American. He started playing golf five years before he came to college. So like, you know, he knows how to get the best out of his players. And I think that's why he's been continually so good. 
And from my understanding, it, at the, in Division Three and Division Two and things like that, there's just there's just like a more lackadaisical uh, like practice schedule, or is like what like what is the difference? And then is it left up to like the player to to be kind of more in charge of his own game, like more than more so than just like the coach himself? Yeah. So you know, the difference really in that respect between D three and D one is we can't. So like. D1 coaches can schedule the practices and they, they basically own you. The, like they can tell you to do whatever, like 6 a.m. workouts, you can do all that. But I'm, I'm, I'm very, are, yeah, I know what that yeah. feels like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I know you would. Um, but so the difference is like our coach in D3, we only have certain, a certain amount of time, a certain amount of days and a certain amount of hours that we're allowed to meet as a team with our coach there. So, if we were okay. to say, I don't, I don't know what the exact amount of hours or days is, but if we were to have like a 6am workout that cuts into the entire time and eventually we run out of that. And then our coach literally can't meet with us. So he, so what we did was we'd meet, we'd have two organized practices a week. And then as captains, we would try and organize stuff ourselves. Um, but again, it was hard to get a bunch of guys in the weight room at the same time you know, especially because we didn't have our own facility. We were sharing it with the rest of the school. Yeah. Um, so we must have spent our time, you know, working on certain stuff. We'd always try to pull guys out to go play um, and try and organize things as best we could through the captains. But again, we had 20 guys on the team at all times, pretty much. So it's hard to get all those guys together when, you know, they're not really, it's hard, you know, they've got so much scheduled scheduling yeah. difference and we can't force them to be there. Right. Um, but yeah, we, I would say we had two probably organized practices a week and that by doing that, that left us just enough practices left to get us to our stuff before nationals, where we were kind of meeting every single day before nationals. Um, but yeah, that's the difference. So because we can't meet the same way that you guys can, yeah. like we don't have the ability to have this certain amount of hours and we would have, like, I promise you, if if he'd have had the ability to, he'd have made us do it, but he just, we can't by NCAA yeah. regulations. So I think it's really weird, but you know, it is how it is. So you mentioned earlier something about, oh, we like lost these guys this year. We lost these guys this year. Are, are those guys that are transferring out or graduating or it, like, is, is uh, this whole transfer thing like from D, D2 or D2 to D1, D3 to D2, D3 to D1, is it like sort of this game where it's like, yeah, you go to D to D three or D two school so that you can move up, or is it more of is that like kind of the vibe, or is it just like like what, what it's just like certain guys like try and transfer out, or most guys in it for like the long haul? Yeah, so for the most part, you know, most of the so we're lucky because we have the PGM program, so we end up finding a lot of kids who come in wanting to play PGM, and they're actually pretty solid players, but there's only certain schools in the nation. There's really only two schools in the nation that Campbell, allow, right? with the other one, right? Yeah. Campbell. And there's only been one guy that did it there. And then coastal Carolina had a guy who played for two years, his last two years. Um, I think it was 2018. So there's like, we're the only one who allows it to work that way where you can do both. And we're the, we make it the easiest because we schedule our internships differently. So you don't have to miss time playing, you know, you don't have to miss time on the team with your internships. Um, so that's why we have so many, we get so many kids who are like, Oh, I want to do PGM. And in reality, they're probably like a scratch around scratch handicap and they come and they make the team, you know, make tryouts and then they get instruction from coach and they get 
progressively better and better and better. And then by the time they're in their last two years, they're ready to play. Yeah. So we've had, a, I can't, I mean, I can't tell you how many, like Mason Stutler, like I said, three-time All-American, he didn't even make the team his freshman year. He played, he didn't make the team, played basketball instead, was a sixth man on the basketball team. And then the next year, his sophomore year, he made it. And then he ended up playing the next four years and was a three-time All-American. That's so, awesome. Yeah. So it's, you know, you get these guys who are kind of on the fringe or who maybe didn't have great junior golf careers and they want to do PGM and they're in PGM for the long haul. So then you get them and they progressively grow as a golfer. And that's kind of how we get what we do. That's kind of where we come from. And then, you know, we have guys like we had a guy, Blake McShay, who now plays for UNCW. And he was kind of, I think when he came in and don't quote me on this, but he was kind of iffy on PGM. Like, I think he, he kind of wanted to do it and he wanted to play for us because we had a good program, but he was a really good golfer. And I think about halfway through his first year, he realized, Hey, maybe, maybe I can still PGM play. isn't what I want to do. Yeah. And then, so yeah. he ended up transferring. I think he transferred after his first semester, his sophomore year, it was either that or he transferred after his freshman year and he's been a great golfer at UNCW and he's played for them for three years now. Yeah. Um, actually, I think he did his COVID year this year. So four, this is his fourth year. And he's a great golfer and he's, you know, he's always been a great golfer, but I think, you know, you get some kids that let her like that, that want to kind of use it as a springboard, but I've only, I've really only seen one or two kids like that in my time here. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well now let's get to the good stuff. Yep. So PGA championship. Yeah. I cannot tell you how many times I got a text from some of the guys in junior golf who text me and go, are you fucking kidding me? Larkin Gross is playing in the PGA championship. And uh, hey, hey, texted me and you'll love this. He just goes, I just remember beating that ass at the Bobby Ballard. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's that's funny. Uh, we'll segue for one second. So the other day, um, I played a match play match versus the first assistant here, and I met up in our match play championship for the section. And he made every single putt he looked at. And obviously, we have a little bit of a rivalry because we both work here. Yeah, and he just he made everything like there's actually like a clip about a 40 second clip of the seven or eight putts he made just in a row, in a row, in a row. And it's wild. Like it's, it's crazy. But I was telling him about when Hay did that to me at Springfield. Yes. Dude, I kid you not. He made everything. I think, I think he had 10 putts through 12. No, he had 11 putts through 12 holes. He chipped in once and then one putt at everything else. Or like 12 putts through 10 holes. It was something stupid like that. That's unbelievable. Yeah. That's so good. All right. So you get to the section event and yeah. like, how, how did that all like take place? Like, were you playing great that year? And like, you were just doing like all these sections events and you just kind of like, were at the top of your game or like, did you just kind of find it one day? And then it just kind of kept like building and building and building. Cause that's how I feel like some like golf is. You just like get past one thing yeah. and you just keep on kind of trucking. And that yeah, seems well, to be what you've done really. Yeah. And you know, my senior year of college, I'm, my junior and senior year had really, really good years. And I felt like I really found my swing my senior year. Um, and I came out of like the nationals that year. We didn't play great at nationals. And I was struggling with the yips with the putter, like bad. Like, oh, I missed the, don't say that. I, missed the, I know I, I typically oh. don't, but for people who are viewing this, who may not know about the yips. I had to say the word. Yeah. yeah it, gives, it gives me shivers too. But um, like, I'm talking like I missed a foot and a half putt 
in one of our rounds getting ready for nationals, like barely touched the hole. So like, it was that bad. Um, so after that year, I had to kind of figure out, or after nationals, I had to figure out what I was going to do to fix that. And I had gone to the claw grip, kind of like the pencil grip, used that for a while. And once I kind of got my putting to where I felt solid with it, um, I kind of, my game started to continually, like you said, build and build and build. And I felt like I was in a really good spot the fall after. So my final internship that fall, my game was like, felt really good. I played in the, in a couple of my last amateur event up at Westwood played against Michael Brennan and he just whacked me, but I had, I had the lead halfway through the third round and then he just started firing on all cylinders. He's a great player, obviously. Yeah. Um, but that was cool to, to like have my final event. I've got a top five at a pretty big event and, you know, got to play with some great players. Um, Mike Brennan and then Frank Alifaganis, like, you know, some really good amateurs. And then I turned pro the next day and won a little professional event we had here at Springfield. And then, you know, kind of took some time off and just worked on my game, worked on my game all winter and then came back and, because of COVID, it was everything was weird. It all got pushed back, so I didn't play my next professional event until June, late June. Okay. We had it out at Links at Perry Cabin at the new course out there, and mm-hmm. I shot sixty six and one. And that's like since then, I've just been on this weird like hot streak. I guess like I just it, since then, I guess it gave me a lot of confidence, and I already felt good about my game. And since then, I've just been you know, I've been playing really good golf. I've had one or two bad tournaments. And other than that, like I played in the winter series this winter and the worst I shot, it's six, two round events. The worst I shot in one of the two round events was even. So I finished even like two under twice and then four under and five under. That's so, crazy. Like, you know, yeah, I've just been playing good golf and I've been able to work on my game a lot. And, you know, I've just been <clears throat> constantly, you know, building confidence, learning more about my game and really like where it's at for me is figuring out putting and I've been working a lot with it lately. And I figured out something with my grip that's helped me feel really confident. And that's what you saw when I played at the PNC, the professional national championship. Like I just felt really good with the putter, um, especially on that third day it just got hot. I mean, I was just making everything. And well, I was hitting you made too. about a billion birdies. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I made 11 birdies. Yeah. What the um, hell? Yeah, it was, like, oh yeah i'm gonna go birdie more than half the holes yeah See you, guys it, later. you know it was it was weird because i started out you know birdie number one which is a, a par five you can definitely birdie it um the second hole is a tough par four birdied that and i was like okay this could be a good day and then i just rip hook one into the houses on the left on number three like just not even close to being in bounds just a terrible golf shot like then i, I make a good i made about a probably a five or six footer for double. And I walked off that green because I made that putt. I walked off that green thinking, okay, like we didn't do what we want to do, but we're still even. And I think the cut ended up being even for, to make the PJ was either even or like right at one over, even whatever might've gotten into a playoff. And I'm like, okay, like we're still, we're still good. Like we're the third round still like we're good. And then I hit a great shot on four and then another good shot on five and missed both the putts barely. And then, made the birdie putt on six and I was off to the races. Yeah. I birdied, five, I birdied five in a row, uh, which I've never done in competition. Actually, I, I don't think I've ever done it. Like, I mean, I, I maybe for when I was playing from the women's tees one day, just to joke around, but like never from 
never from like birding five in a row in a competition, like from the tips. Um, so, and I just, like I said, the putter stayed hot and I just made everything and got some good breaks too. You gotta, to play good, you gotta get good breaks. And I got some, which was good. True. All right. So a, a little birdie told me that you had a pretty fun practice round at Kiowa. Yeah. And I, yeah, uh, no, I want to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, it was. Um, so I was on the range and I was trying to figure out who I was going to play with. I knew I was going to play with Lonto um, at least once because the VSGA guys kind of hooked us up and we're going to play on Tuesday. So um, Monday, I'm kind of going out and typically what you do is a PGA professional, if you don't know somebody, you just kind of hang around the first tee. And if you see somebody who's only got like a one ball or a twosome, you just ask them to join. And all those guys are great guys. So they're typically like, yeah, for sure. You come on and we'll play together. So I got lucky. My coach, Steve Conley knew Ricky's caddy because they coached against each other. So um, Joe, Ricky's caddy was the coach of Laverne the year that Laverne won the national championship, I believe in 2009. Nice. So, or the year that maybe they finished second to one of the other teams, but they, we, you know, coach Methodist and Laverne played together in that national championship. So he knew him and he saw him and he was like, Hey, Joe, you know, coach Conley, good to see you again. And they kind of got to chatting and he goes, Hey, you know, Ricky and Kisner are going to play a practice round. He's like, I could ask if you could join. And I'd be like, that's would be awesome. Like, please do that for me. So he went over and he's like, yeah, I got you. I'll go ask. So he called us and he goes, Hey, we're going off around, you know, whatever. I think it was like 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock. He's like, and they're good with you joining. And I was like, okay, perfect. So I'm, you know, warming up, head over to the first tee, get to the first tee and Hudson Swafford is also joined. So we got a four ball, Ricky Kisner, Hudson Swafford and myself. And we're standing on the first tee and Ricky's getting ready to hit his ball. And Kisner says something I couldn't hear because I was on the other side of the tee box. And Ricky said, yeah, hey, Larkin, uh, they want Kisner and HUD versus me and you. I was like, okay, I get like, I don't, I don't know what you guys think you're getting into, but whatever. I was like, or, or whatever the bet is, <laughs> just don't yeah, tell me. Yeah, just don't tell me what we're doing here. So, um, and so Ricky and I teamed up against Kisner and Swafford, and I just hit it so far left off the first tee because I was so nervous. Like there were, you know, Ricky, Ricky brings a crowd with him pretty much, even in practice rooms. Like there are people following him no matter what. So I was on the first people call, tee. People these- call Jordan Spieth the golden child of golf. I honestly think Ricky Fowler is the golden child of golf. Well, you know, and, and you're right. And I think I just think Ricky just whatever the energy he brings is just different than a lot of other people. Not that the other guys don't bring good energy, but I think there's just this buzz around Ricky where like, even if he's not playing great, they still want to watch him because he's a good guy and he kind of, he carries himself really well. Yeah. Um, so, but it was just wild because there's just people all around and I'm like, Oh crap. Like if I hit a bad shot, like I'm letting Ricky Fowler down, like this is brutal. So I hit it into the crap, you know, get up there i ended up making like bogey or double ricky made a good par uh but kids stuffed it in there and made birdie so we're one down right so then i birdie two and three to get us back to uh actually they birdied two and then we got back we went to even after three then we won number four because ricky up and down for par and i don't think kids or swafford did and then or maybe we might have had that hole but anyway we got to we got to about seven. I think we're still even. And Kisner and Swafford are in great spots to make birdie. And Hud makes like a 
25 footer drains it. And then Ricky makes his 20 footer or 15 footer to keep us in it. And then number eight, we have, I got up and down for par and Kizer got up and down for par. I think Ricky did too. And then on nine, we're even. And Ricky drains this like 30 footer for birdie. And I'm just like, let's go. So we ended up winning one up. Let's so it was go. Cool. It, it was such a cool experience to play with those guys. And like I said, you know, I contributed to the match too, at least four holes. So I was like, that's pretty cool. Like I'm out here with these guys that I grew up watching on TV. Yeah, I mean, you cut Ricky Fowler. That's pretty sick. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and not only that, but we ham and egged it great because I played well. Other than the first one, I played well about the five, first five or six holes. And then um, seven through nine, Ricky turned it on and birdied seven and nine. So it was cool to, that we kind of ham and egged it like that. And Kisner made a – he's, like, probably one of the funniest people ever, and he's such a nice guy. And I had a birdie putt on six from about 10 feet that would have gotten us to one up and I misread it and missed it. And Kisner looks at me and he goes, it's a good thing you missed that. He goes, cause we'd have uninvited you from the group if you'd have made it <laughs> <laughs> And then on the, on the next tee box on seven. I just absolutely pump one. We had it down one on seven, the part five, and I just rope one right down the middle and Kisner mutters under his breath. He goes, you're supposed to be in the shop folding damn shirts and you're out here hitting it 350 down the fucking middle. That's what he said, word for word. And I'm like, that, like everybody starts dying laughing. And I'm just like, yeah, man, I don't know. I don't know what you want from me. Like, but they were all great guys and we had a great time. And I can't like speak enough to how cool it was because they all talked to me. They all, you know, engaged me and were answering questions I had and asking me where I was from. And it was, it was just a really cool experience. And then on the back nine that day, I played with Joaquin Neiman for nine holes, which was, we, we just lucked into it. I was headed to the back nine and he was already there trying to start. And I was like, Hey, I'm turning from the front. You care if I join you? He goes, no, no. So I got to kind of talk to Joaquin Neiman and he's a great guy and such a good golfer. Like it's, he was like flighting drivers, like shaping them. And I'm just like, he's hitting it it's 60 feet off the ground with a shape to it, no matter what he wanted to do. And like just his back him. is going to break every time he makes impact. So, you know, what's funny. He, the guys, I heard some guys talking about it that know him really well, but apparently, and they're like, ah, I just feel like his back can't hold up. And he's like, but the, one of the guys that was talking, I guess, shares a physio with him. And they're talking about how like his rehab is just insane. Like we're talking oh, yeah. about military level rehab. Um, and that's why he hasn't hurt himself yet. Cause he's, he just puts so much work into making sure that he's keeping his body correctly like flexible in the right spots and then strong in the right spots you know and and he just he's just weird like that like he spends an hour and a half to two hours after his rounds just kind of rehabbing after his practice sessions so that's why he's been able to stay so healthy wow. and like i said he's, he's like a super nice guy and he basically does whatever he wants with the golf ball it's it's super fun to watch um and then tuesday i got to play with lanto which was a lot of fun because he's yep. such a great guy and you know he basically gave me a lot of advice, answered all my questions, you know, was super, just super fun to be around. Like nice to talk to you on 11. I was talking about laying up as a part of five. I was talking about laying up, you know, just to get to hit that layup shot. And Lanto looks at me and goes, Hey, is that your girlfriend or your wife over there on the, on the side there? And I'm like, that's my girlfriend. And he goes, dude, he's like, she didn't come to see you lay up. He goes, drop the hammer down. That's what he said. He said, lay the hammer down. 
so of course he ended up goading me into, into hitting going for the green on 11 so and, what, what, and how'd it go how'd it go for going for it was it? good it wasn't bad I, I just missed the green a little to the right and, okay. but it, you know he was um he was a lot of fun to play with and he's a great guy super nice guy and it was cool to see him do his ajga event out at uh Roanoke, was it Roanoke or Blacksburg Country Club? Uh, Blacksburg Country Club. Blacksburg, yeah. So it was cool to see all the guys down there and see him there with all the juniors. That was pretty cool. Yeah. And then finally, Wednesday, I played again with – I was going to play by myself on Wednesday. Like I had already told myself in my head I want to go out by myself and just spend some time around the greens, really take my time. And I'm on standing on the first tee getting ready to go, and I see Kisner walking across the green. And I already said hi to him that day. Um, I'd had breakfast with Hudson Swafford and Brian Harmon that morning. I just sat down with him uh, and, you know, just talked to him a little bit. And then I saw Kisner coming and I was like, Hey, kids, do you have a, do you have a game? And he goes, oh, I've got um, one more coming. He, I was like, do you mind if I join you? He's like, no, sure. He's like, come on. So ended up being me, Kisner and Brian Harmon. Nice. And then Henrik was coming over to play and he walked up to the first tee and Kiz and Henrik know each other because they're both Callaway staffers. Yeah. And Kiz goes, hey, Henrik, you want to play? Like, we'll have a game. And Henrik goes, yeah, sure. So I ended up playing with Kisner, Harmon, and Henrik Stenson. And we didn't have a game. Like, we weren't going to do anything on the first tee. And I figured we weren't. I figured we were just going to play. On the first screen, Kisner's like, all right, we're going to toss balls and play a match the last eight holes, right? So they toss balls, and it's me and Henrik versus Brian and Kisner. And that was – he carried my ass. I mean, he did. He carried me. I, like, I did not play great that day because, again, I was super nervous because I'm playing with Henrik Stenson. And, like, I knew – I'd already talked to Brian Harmon that morning, and he was a super nice guy. Um, and I knew kids there. But, like, he, dude, he is – he has some of the most impressive short game shots in his arsenal that, like – I mean, he's just good. Him and Kisner both are just wizards around the greens. And – Henrik and I, uh, Henrik looks at me and he goes, let's go, bud. And, you know, he's like, let's go, bud. And Henrik is, you wouldn't know it because like, he's very almost stoic looking and he's, he kind of seems reserved. He's not at all. He's a chatterbox and he is awesome. He's super nice, very dry, kind of sarcastic sense of humor, which I love. And just the nicest guy you could ever want to talk to. So getting to play with him and him as my partner, he's a major champion and watching what he did was just awesome. And he hit some shots. He hit a shot on number eight that day, which is the part three. The pin was tucked front left. It's an awful position because they were using the pin positions. They weren't going to use in like the kind of marginal pin positions in the practice rounds. And my guy hits this high draw hold up against the wind or high cut hold up against the wind to this left pin that lands like a butterfly, like nine feet behind the hole. And he makes it for birdie. And I'm just like, this is a different, he's just a different guy. And there, but he was such a nice guy. Just doesn't miss iron shots. He just, I don't think he missed an iron shot when we played together. Um, but that was cool. We ended up having that match. I had a putt to win it. Um, because we were one up going into the last hole. And if I'd have made par, we would have, they couldn't have beaten us. But then I missed like a, I barely missed like a 15 footer and Kisner made about a six or seven footer for par. And we ended up having it, but it was fun. It like getting to play with those guys. And like I told a lot of people, you know, I think the difference, what I found out that week, especially playing with Matt Jones and Dylan Fratelli, cause they were great guys and they're both great ball strikers. And Dylan hits it a freaking mile. 
is I don't really hit it. I don't hit it any worse than they do. Like as far as contact, like hitting the center of the club face, I hit it just as good as they do. And I don't hit it as far as the guys like Dylan and those guys do. But when I played with Ricky Kisner and Swafford, I was keeping up with them. And I was keeping up with Matt Jones for the most part. And Dylan was probably out driving me by 10 or 15 yards, but he's one of the longer drivers on tour. So I didn't feel bad about that. But the big difference for me is they short game it and they putt it just 19,000 times better than I do. And it's a different level. Like they could get up and down. If you threw a ball, if you closed your eyes instead of the middle of the green, you could throw a ball basically as hard as you wanted and they'll get it up and down from wherever you, the, you, the ball ends up. Dylan Fratelli hit it to eight feet from a down slope in the long grass. He took a, like a seven iron and banked it into the waste bunker, into the bank, bounced up and rolled to eight feet. And it's a shot that I you could have thrown 10 balls and I might have gotten one on the green or two on the green. It was just the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And he did it in competition just like it was nothing. Yeah. So, you know, and watching Ricky that first day, watching Ricky Kisner and Hudson short game it, that was impressive. And same thing, like they're all impressive, but Kisner, Kisner and Ricky are a different and Harmon, they're a different breed. Like their short games are just tight. They don't miss. And that's the difference. Like I, they made me look foolish and I got, I got exposed in the PGA championship because I think, you know, I got to see all the strokes gained from the week and my irons. I think I lost two and a half shots to the field, which really isn't that bad. Um, and I was actually top half in driving. So I was positive in strokes gained driving, which was pretty cool. Um, but then I lost nine and a half shots to the field around the greens. And then I lost five, 4.8 putting. Gotcha. So that's where I got crushed. So, you know, you, if you, I think I did the math. If you took, if you took away the strokes I lost around the greens and putting, I would have made the cut by one. So that's, you know, and that's where, that's the thing, right? Like that's the difference. You, everybody has, you know, everybody has their difference and that's mine. That's where I need to work on. And now, like, since I've gotten back from PJ championship, I spend every free time, every free moment that I have basically, you know, working on chipping and short game. So that's a, and it, you know, Kiwa in general was just a, a wake up call because it was basically a U.S. Open disguised as the PGA Championship, right? That's the, what the conditions were like. 7,700 yards, 30-mile-an-hour winds on the second day. It just – it exposes any little weakness you have. It really does. How was the first tee jitters? You know what's funny? And it, you, this is going to surprise you. I did not have first tee jitters. I freaked out in the middle of the fairway. I just – I hit this beautiful, like, high cut right down the right center of the fairway on the first hole, and I got to the middle of the fairway, and I was like, oh, crap, what do I do now? Like, this is – like, I would just I, – I think what helped me on the first tee was that first day playing with Ricky and those guys because I had my all my jitters there, and there wasn't really anybody watching us the first day. Like, the, it, all the people watching us the first day were basically people that I knew. And then, you know, Dylan Fratelli and Matt Jones' family. So – it was we didn't have a big crowd really. And all the, most of the people that were there were people that I knew, like my friends and family. So I wasn't really nervous, but then when I was in the middle of the fairway on the first hole, it kind of hit me. I was like, Oh crap. Like now I got in the middle of the first fairway. Yeah, correct. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And it's, it's just this crazy kind of, Oh man, like, what do I do now? And 
you know, I was so nervous throughout the, I, when I got to the back nine, as you could tell by my score, I kind of calmed down. Like I three putted number nine and then on the drive on the shuttle over to the 10 tee in my head, I'm just like, okay, dude, you're six over. Like who cares now? Like just go out and just swing freely. And on the back nine, I played really well. And it was the, the back nine, in my opinion, is the harder nine. And I kind of tightened it down, buckled down and played. I think I shot two over on the back nine, which was really good because it's a tougher nine. And I think the winds, the wind that we had the first day made the back nine tougher than the front nine. So it was cool to, cool to see that I could, you know, once I got those jitters out of the way, I could kind of buckle down and, and really focus. Yeah. And then the second day was just, I, I can't even, I can't even describe to you how hard the second day was. I didn't even like, I actually hit it reasonably well the second day and shot 84. And it, when you put 30 mile an hour winds onto, and you lay that over top of 7,700 yard golf course, it's just a, it's nothing that I've ever been able to prepare for. I've played long golf courses before, right? Like I've played 77, 7,800 yards. Yeah. What's that place but, like Vinatera or something? Or the, yeah. Vinatera is deep. That thing's but I actually, deep. So leading up to the PGA Championship, I actually went out to Trump National, which tips out at 7,800. Yep. Played TPC Potomac at Avenal, which is 7,300 par 70. That golf course is awesome. Yeah, it's so good. So good. And so I got to play some tougher golf. I think I, I also went out to RTJ. So I got okay. to play some really good golf courses and prepare from some longer distances, but we didn't get the wind. And the wind was the deciding factor. Like at Trump National from 7,800 yards, I shot one over with a double. So I felt really good about it. And then you get to 7,700 yards and you add in 30 mile an hour winds. I hit a six iron from 128 yards, pin high. So, you know, the six iron stock for me is about 185, 190. Yeah. And I hit from 128 yards. And the, the amount you of probably flushed it. Yeah. And the amount of commitment it takes to look at a golf shot and say, wow, like I typically hit this from, 70 yards further and i'm hitting it from 125 yards 128 yards and to commit to that's really tough and that's where i struggled when we got that much wind that's where i was struggling was the fact that i've got to hit 40 50 yards more than normal and pretend like it's okay yeah so that was that was tough like on number two the the second day i hit a five wood from 198 yards and came up short and five woods typically a 240 to 250 when i'm hitting it solid yeah so it's just a different animal, but it was a great experience. I learned a lot, which I think was the biggest takeaway. Like I learned that I need to spend a lot more time on short game and putting because I, I mean, I keep my stats and I was already kind of learning this, you know, I use birdie fire to keep my stats. And I was already kind of new. Shout that. out birdie fire. Yeah. So for real, exactly. I use birdie fire all through college. They're great. I'll plug you guys in. Give me a sponsor. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, but uh, I love birdie fire because it gives great information. So I, I knew that my short game was pretty, was solid, right? It's not great, but it's solid. And then my putting is where I really struggle. And then I got out on those conditions and realized that, Hey, my short game is not as good as I thought it was. Once you put it, once you get on tough, firm conditions to small greens, with wind added and then that I needed some more shots around the greens. Like I didn't have the shots that those guys had. Like I had a couple stock shots. Like I can hit the high shot. I can hit the low shot. I can hit the bumper or the mid shot, but I don't have the high flop off a of firm turf with wind, you know, wind at your back. Yeah. I don't have that. And that's something I need to work on. 
And I think that's why playing in the PJ was such a cool experience because now I know, like I got put into the fire and I got burnt and now I know how to fix it, how to try not to get burnt, you know, if I get that chance again. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to shout out your dad a little bit because I think that he was literally one of the, like, he was the iconic golf dad when we were in junior golf. Like he came to every event, always walking around. He was always chatting, talking to people. What was it like having your dad on the back? Like that must've been so awesome. Yeah. it, It was a lot of fun, you know, and he, like I said, I owe him a lot. He's who got me into the game. Right. So it felt right to have him on the bag, especially at the PNC. Cause so originally from was supposed to caddy for me. Cause she, you know, she's a great golfer and she actually, they just won the women's national championship for D three at Methodist. Um, so having her on the bag with the knowledge that she has and how much we play golf together would have been great, but she couldn't because she was at the national championship. Right. So my dad hopped on the bag for me, which is by no means a downgrade. Um, and we had a great time. We got to spend a week together, which we don't really get to do as much anymore because I'm up in Northern Virginia and they're still back where I grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was cool to spend some time with him and he really helped me read, read the greens and he didn't really know the greens, but he did a good job using what he knew, what he saw in the first two days when he saw the courses for the first times to help me on those last two days, the third and fourth day. So, and you know, he was there and what he was there for really was to remind me, like before each round, I told him like, Hey, these are my keys for today. This is what I'm trying to remember. If you see me feel like I'm getting not down on myself, but if I'm getting out of my routine and getting out of sync, like remind me, Hey, this is what you wanted me to tell you. This is what we were working on in the range, you know, and kind of bring me back to reality, like bring me back into the, into the game. If you see me getting out. Keep you so, yeah, exactly. And that's what he did really well. And he did it really well at the PJ championship and, and it was fun. You know, I think it was cool at the PJ championship. Cause we got to, there was a point on the second nine, the, the second day, the back nine where we got to kind of play around a little bit. You know, I knew I was going to miss the cut. I was just trying to enjoy my last six holes of the PJ championship. And we got to kind of play around and, you know, talk a little bit and just kind of enjoy the moment, um, which was really cool. And I got to enjoy the moment with, you know, my girlfriend came, my mom and my sister. So getting to have those experiences was a lot of fun. And it's something that's really cool to get to share with your family. And then, you know, my girlfriend who will eventually be a part of my family and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it was a cool experience to get to spend it with people who have been with you for so long. Yeah, for sure. Um, so obviously we've talked about a lot of your you know recent su- success uh, as, as, as on top of the things we talked about, got through U.S. Open section or got two U.S. Open sectionals. Unfortunately, didn't make it through the couple of bad holes like we talked about before the yeah. pod. But uh, after all of this stuff, is there any, you know, thoughts on trying to give it a go at the highest level and like actually like play play? Yes. Yeah, so um I'm looking to, I got exempt into second stage of corn fair Q school. So I'll be doing that in the fall. Hell and, yeah. you know, I've got, you know, I got the state open coming up. We've got our, the MAPGA section stroke play coming up. And then um, our section championship is in September, which is the good thing is I'm already exempted in the PNC next year. So I don't have to worry about getting a spot in that tournament, yep. but you know, then the PNC is next April. So there's a lot of stuff I've got coming up, you know, and I do want to give it a go, right? I'm 23. I'm not 
you know, I've got time, right? And I feel like I continue to get better and better as I practice and learn more about my game and where I maybe need to to focus on more. So for me, as long as I feel like I'm continuing to progress and get better, it makes sense for me to to try and do it, right? You know, yeah. if, if there's a point where, you know, I hit a wall and playing competitively doesn't become fun and you know, it becomes not fun anymore, then we take a step back and pull away from it a little bit, right? But I'm I've been lucky enough that I play golf now for almost 20 years and I never get more of a thrill or like have more fun than going out and just playing golf and then also competing against people and, you know, just making it like, it's a, it's fun for me to go out and practice, like to go out and have a plan in my head and say, okay, I'm going to work on short game and like try all the different shots and throw balls down and, and go play and go play with members. And you know, like that stuff's still so fun to me. And as long as it continues to be fun, I'm going to continue to try and make it, you know, and the good thing is, you know, we have the ability to, I'll have the chance to play in the PGA championship every year, Yeah, which is cool. You know, I'm, I'm going to have the ability to qualify for that every single year. Um, and I've already, and I did it in my first opportunity. So now next time I go to the PNC, you know, I've, I've got a good finish under my belt there. I showed myself that I can play with those guys. So now I can kind of go out and, leave the leave the nerves behind a little bit and just go yeah. play golf and go see how good I can play. But yeah, there definitely is I definitely want to try and and make you know play right? That was all our dream when we were kids, you know, to go out and, and give it a go and really give it a good chance to to make it cuz it's the dream is to play golf for a living, right? To get to go out and step on the first tee and have a chance to not really, you know, it's funny and I think I'm lucky that I have that my dad kind of taught me this and I learned this from the people that were mentoring me growing up. Like I don't really, the money's cool, you know, making money playing golf is cool. But in my head, the way I look at it is the money just allows me to continue to play in golf tournaments. Like if I've got the money to pay for the entry fees, like that's all it, that's what it is. You know, I got the money to cover the expenses and to be able to play the next week. Like that's what it is. So I think it helps me to, to think about it like that because, you know, you play good to be able to play more, right? You don't play good for a living. You know, eventually it may come down to that. I hope it does come down to that eventually, but as long as it's fun, then keep doing it. Yeah, no, I totally agree. <clears throat> so uh, I'm, I asked these two questions to everybody at the end of the podcast. Okay. Best shot you've ever hit in competition and worst shot you've ever hit in competition. But okay. I'm going to caveat yours and say at the PGA, best and worst shot, at the PGA. And I want you to walk us, walk me through both of them. Okay. So, um, probably one of the best shots I hit at the PGA was, it's kind of like a, there's a tie between two of them, but they were both on the par threes on the back nine. Right. And I actually, I'll probably have to give it to the one I hit on 17. It was about 210 yards. That hole looked impossible. Literally impossible. It was scary. And it was, 205 back left pin into about a 20 mile an hour wind. That was the first day. And I'd already watched Matt Jones hit it 90 miles left. Cause he was in the lead at that point. So the one thing he couldn't do is hit it in the water. Right. Yeah. So he just hit it way left, which is fine. There's no shame in that. I, if I was three under at that point, I'd have hit it way left too. But, um, I stood up and I was whatever I was seven over six over whatever. And just hit this high cut five wood, started off the right edge of the left bunker that didn't move too much. And it was just right at just left of the pin. And it was a perfect distance. I had like a 12 footer and I'm just sitting there. Like that was, 
as good as I could have done, right? Like I can't do any better than that. Water, right, right there. Yeah, water, water right, wind in the face in front of the stadium. Like, I mean, that's where they had the big stand. So yeah, and you got a death bunker on the left and then yeah, correct. So like I just I flushed it and I that actually that shot was good enough to get on. They showed me on coverage. Like that was a top tracer shot. So I got on coverage for that one and that was pretty cool, right? Um, and it's funny because what a lot of people don't know is I left that putt like two feet short from 12 feet because I was so worried about running it by and making bogey. I looked at my dad. I was like, dude, like this is going to be like, this would be a great birdie, but I was like, we're just not going to do that. Like we're not yeah, going to, well, I'm just not, not going to blow this three and a half feet yeah. by. <laughs> um, and then I guess the honorable mention for the best shot would be on 14, which is the other brutal par three into the wind. Mm-hmm. I flighted a four iron and it landed perfectly kind of caught the slope a little bit and I drained like a 30 footer and fist pumped it. Like I was like seven over, I had no business fist pumping, but I did it anyway. I was like, let's go. Like I just made a break. And cause that one, cause Matt was leading at that point, he was four under for the tournament. So we yeah. had a pretty big gallery at that point. So I just fist pumped it. I was like, let's go. Like, that's the one right there. That's great. Um, but that was, both of those moments were really cool. And then, oh, the worst shot. Let's see. This is my favorite. <sighs> you know, I'm trying to think. I had it if you were going to do for for forever, but this is a little. This is tougher in the PGA. Um, we can hear the forever one afterwards. Okay, perfect. So for the PGA, I'd have to say the worst shot was. I just I got up on thirteen, which is the brutal par four, the yep. really tough par four, and I had the I had the plan. I was going to hit three wood off that tee to kind of keep it short of the left bunkers and kind of take the water out of play a little bit. Mm-hmm. But the water is always in your mind. Even if you feel like you're hitting a club, that's going to take it out of play. It's still in the back of your head. Like oh, I could really push this right and have to re tee again from this exact tee box, 480 yards from the green. So I get up and I just rip hook this thing into the dunes and just am screwed. Like I've got a terrible lie. Just, you know, like that was probably the worst shot I hit. Cause I drove, I driven it so well that entire week. And then to hit that shot when I was actually playing well up to that point on the back nine just kind of sucked. So, you know, like, it's just kind of like, ah, that's just, that's brutal. Like to, to hit it over there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And especially on that hole, you know, after com- I was coming off of a birdie too, I'd hit it to like two feet on the whole previous and on the whole prior and made a birdie. So I was feeling good. And then to do that, I was like, dang on it. Like, why'd you have to do that? But that was probably the worst shot. And I made double on that hole. Um, and you know, if I hadn't made double, I actually would have been. If I hadn't made double and had still birdied the next hole, I would have gotten into four over for the day, which would have been a great score and a good spot to be coming into the death stretch of 15, 16, 17, 18. So, but yeah, that was probably the worst drive I hit. And actually, it's funny I say that because I really didn't hit that many bad shots that week. I guess that's when I'm when I'm nitpicking. Like that's that just shows you how tough that golf course really is. Yeah. Um, sure. I also hit some crappy short game shots too. Like I. Oh, I guess one of them could be, I hit a short game shot. I degreened it on, like I had, I was on the left side of 14 with the wind at my back to the narrow part of the green. And I Everything couldn't just took green. off. Yeah. I couldn't even hold the green. Like I just, I chipped it from that low spot and it landed on the green and it came out a little lower than I wanted to. And it rolled all the way down off the other side. And then I almost degreened it again, coming back from the other side. So that was tough too. But if we're, if we're talking about the worst ever, it would, it would be, it would have to be the year that we won nationals first tee shot of the tournament. I was super nervous, super jittery, 
had a two iron, which had been my like baby the entire year. Like that was my savior club. That was a club I hit when I didn't feel good. So 370 yard par four or something stupid like that. Get up on the tee box. And I just hit this chunk slice, like 160 yards off the tee and the greens an Island green. So I had 190 yards with the ball super above my feet. Oh, that's with a five iron. Yeah. And I ended up, the good thing is I hit a great iron shot and had a good two putt and say par, but like in front of everybody, there were probably 40, 50 people standing on the first tee, like watching me. And I just chunk slice this thing. It was just gross with my favorite club too. So it was just brutal, but that was definitely the, one of the worst shots I've hit in competition. Fair enough. Yeah. That's awesome. All right, man. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and, and doing this. Yeah. I know the boys are going to uh, enjoy listening to this one.